everybody. Welcome to the Practica Podcast, where we encourage the practical application of the pulpit ministry in the local church. I am one of your hosts, David, and today Josh is not with us, so we have Colton. Colton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the welcoming. You're welcome. I feel welcomed. You're so welcome. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. This is already a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be good. Yeah. Um, no so, so you got to preach this Sunday. I did. Um, which is awesome. You did. Uh, you you wrapped up chapter two for us, verses twenty eight and twenty nine. Yep, a lot of verses, a lot to cover. Oh yeah, that's the funny thing. I mean, John is John could give us one verse, and there could be you know, I mean, again, you could do one exposition three different ways, or you could do a teaching series around the contents of that one verse. The old Martin Lloyd Jones method. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you really could do. Um, an exposition out of each verse because um, there really is a lot. Yeah, but we didn't. No, no, but you did really good. Hey, thanks, it man. Was, yeah, it was really good to have you preach. And um, uh, So what we'll do is I'll read uh, the text. We'll get to talk about it. But before we do that, before we go into that, usually I get to tell jo- Josh some jokes. But because Josh isn't here, yeah, I'm not going to do dad jokes. Oh. I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do anti-jokes. Is it, is it because I'm not a dad? You feel like I'm, I well, wouldn't do, get it? Well, Josh isn't a dad, and it sometimes feels like Josh doesn't get the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe so That I might just, be the problem. I, I, it could be. I should yeah. just probably switch to anti-jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've got these jokes, which I, I feel like are a little bit better. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I'm a huge fan of anti-jokes. Expectations I, are high. Okay. What's white and annoying at breakfast? If you say my name, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> That's really funny. No, but what's, it's not you. Okay. What's white and annoying at breakfast? I don't know. An avalanche. I, wow. I think it's funny. I, I did not go the literal way, and I was like, what is an avalanche I think in the context of breakfast? Yeah, I think that's, but I thought it was funny that you named yourself, so <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on when I tell people this joke. Okay, cool. Thanks. What's Okay, one more. Just one more. What's right. yellow and is something you shouldn't drink? What? A school bus. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Wait, <laughs> wait, what's brown and sticky? Oh, we did this one. No. A stick. You ruined it. What's old and creaky? Uh, I don't know. A creak. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, anti-jokes are hilarious because they're so literal. Yeah. Uh, well, good times. Well, okay, so getting back to the point, we... Yeah. Um, get, get us back. Yeah. Uh, you wrapped up chapter two, mm-hmm. uh, verses 28 and 29. So I'll read that. And then you can give us a, give us a, a synopsis of your sermon. Okie doke. So here is verses 28 and 29 of 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And as Josh often says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So give us a a little bit of a a synopsis, an overview of your preaching from Sunday. Yeah, uh, synopsis. So I 
I began, this was the first sermon I've preached that was in series. So it was a little different uh, oh, right. from, from yeah. what I'm used to. Um, normally I've, I've just preached one-offs. So uh, the the intro was the the easiest part because it was just recapping what somebody else had taught, what you had taught yeah. in previous weeks. Um, so we, we started there just by kind of getting our feet wet with a refresher of uh, what what John had been addressing for um, the people receiving his letter, um, the application that we had walked through previously, different subjects we had covered. And then we uh, we broke down the reality I really walked through who it was that John was addressing, the little children, the Christians, the true believers. I'm so sorry. Dude, that, is that is so, so distracting. Loud. Can they hear that? I don't know. There, there are loud sirens. Yeah. Like, oh, that, they're well, getting, there it goes. They, they're getting closer. <laughs> yeah, hopefully everybody's or, okay. It sounds, it sounds like police officers. Yeah. It so, definitely sounds like a siren. I probably can, headed I can to Caleb's house. Yeah, well, Caleb's here, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's but, probably gonna be funny. But, well, it, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be worse. If well, actually... as the as the siren fades, you were saying. There we go. Yep, back on track. Sorry. Uh, we did a recap, and then we addressed who it is that John's addressing. That it's the true believers. It's the little children, um, as he puts it, children in the faith. Uh, and then from there, uh, we went through the reality of what it means to abide in him. As it says, we can have confidence and not shrink from Christ that is coming if we abide in him. Um, we walked through what it means to abide in Christ, what that should look like, that we um, we love God, we love his law, we love his commandments, we seek after what is righteous. Um, and then we walked through the reality that we cannot seek after righteousness um, by ourselves, independent from Christ, that... Uh, righteousness does not exist apart from God. Um, we looked at the reality that if we're to have confidence um, when Christ does return, when the second coming occurs, um, it's not because of uh, works we've done in righteousness in our own name, but works we've done by the Spirit, uh, that that abiding um, only happens because we've been um, saved by Him, for Him, and, and through the Spirit. And so... The confidence that that we um, would have in approaching the throne of God, in, in approaching the Lord, is only as a result of His saving. Um, we went through that, and then we also talked about how uh, you brought it up earlier. How I used to be uh, pantrib. Yeah, um, which, that was uh, that was the thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, that's 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 fun. Yeah, uh, Caleb's here, and Caleb and I just had a conversation two two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago about how. I used to be pantrib, and uh, and maybe a definition for those who might be listening, yeah, who don't get the inside church joke. Pantrib is basically what? Uh, it's all gonna pan out. <laughs> uh, you know, it basically it, it says you know I can't control it. Um, I don't I don't have any say in the way that that Christ returns or um, in eschatology as a whole, uh, and so. You know, it's going to pan out the way that it pans out. We know that the believers at the end win. We know that Christ is triumphant. We know that um, that Satan is defeated. So why why bother to know it? It's all going to pan out in the end. Um, it's a it's ultimately, as I said in my sermon, it's 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 not a view that Christians can really hold. Well, it's the it's really the pacifists' approach. Yeah, or in my case, it was just lazy. Sure. Um, it it really was. It was it was it was basically me saying it without saying it. Like I believe there 
other doctrines that are more important for me to know and understand that are more pertinent to my life. Um, and that, that ultimately was kind of bred from laziness of just not wanting to invest the time and the energy and the work. And then seeing that a lot of, uh, conversations around eschatology just don't go well. Um, yeah. People, people tend to be really passionate in really unhelpful ways when it comes to eschatology. And so that kind of stemmed or, or from that, you know, it's kind of born that, that mentality of, well, you know, rather than get in arguments with everybody, I'll just, I don't need to hold something. I can just be pantry and no one can argue that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think one of the things that becomes really fascinating too, is that when people come to those to come to, they come to texts like uh, the one you preached and they do wind up having, um, a particular eschatology, but mm. because they kind of fall into the quote unquote pan trib, whether because it's fear or laziness or lack of, of study, what tends to happen then is that they insert their tradition or what they've heard everyone yeah. else hear. And so what drives their eschatology when they when they read verse eight, twenty-eight and twenty-nine is not this glorious view of Jesus Christ. Right. It's actually more problematic because it's their pan trib view or pan mill view. You know, it's the pan it out of the whole eschaton. Yeah. And so they don't actually look at it with this great confidence as john talks about right they look at it just kind of going well yeah there's some stuff there but we'll move on and just abide yeah and it ignores a really important aspect of the text so i think your application on on sunday was really valuable for us to really know eschatology yeah um to know what the pastors hold yeah to know what our spouse holds what our church holds um Again, why does that, maybe a question, why does that become important to you in saying that in the exposition? Because John doesn't avoid eschatology here. He very clearly connects eschatology to the life of the believer, right? Because we abide, we have confidence. Because we've been saved, we have confidence. Like, because of these things, we have confidence when he comes. Like, he could have very easily said, like, little children, abide in him. Mm-hmm. And ended right. there. And there's your application. Abide yeah. in Christ. There's your command. Um, and we would have been no wiser as Christians. You know, we have this command from John that we've also seen from Christ, but he doesn't. He he draws the conclusion to Christ's second coming. And because of that, I mean, we have an entire book in Revelation and we have dozens upon dozens of references to the end times throughout the scriptures. And so just as God has has taken time to reveal these things to us, we should take time to know them, right? Like we should take seriously the things that God has revealed in his word. Right. I, I would actually argue even that having preached through John for three years, almost, and then now preaching through 1 John, and how often I will pick up Revelation devotionally or in my own study, what, what I actually think is really important about the the point you're making is that a lot of people tend to put revelation in the category of eschatology. Revelation is one book of many when when we right. talk about eschatology because eschatology as a as a term really just means last things. Right. So you could put Thessalonians in there, you could put much of the Old Testament. I mean again, indirectly John is often dealing with Daniel. He's dealing with Jeremiah. I referenced Jeremiah thirty-one. Right. Even the reality of the new cust- uh, of the new covenant has eschatological implications. Absolutely. So, 
in that, I think that is a really good point. Like the believer can't think that eschatology is like an addendum in theology. Yeah. And and everybody holds to one. So even knowing, you know, yeah, what um, you know, like what I, I would say, even uh, where John is going, some of the things that he's dealing with are really valuable. Because I mean, even as I go to preach this Sunday, we're gonna get back into it from a different perspective, and he's gonna deal with what is often called the already not yet. There's eschatological truths that are already taking place, already have been fulfilled, and there are things that will be fulfilled. But I see a smirk on your face. So what what's your thinking no, in that? I'm just I'm honestly just looking forward to the coming weeks as we get into first John three. Um because again it, it John continues to tie um the the end to the life of the believer now. Right. It's just, it's not disconnected. It can't be disconnected. Um, and two, I think we were, we were talking briefly before we started this, um, about the reality of where, where, um, we are, uh, your, your reiteration of, uh, some of the questions I posed, what do you, what do the elders believe? What do the deacons believe? What does your yeah. spouse believe? What do you believe? Um, I think to, to encourage the listener in that, um, it's not, it's not that we have to have these things fully fleshed out and fully understood, um, to the, to the absolute resolute position, um, or it's, it's not good enough, right? Like you're constantly growing in your doctrine in your devotion in your theology and in these different theological perspectives and, and areas and eschatology isn't, isn't one of those that you have to have perfectly re- resolved. Um, but there should be a pursuit just like there is in these other doctrines. Um, because a, a part of God's character is revealed in, um, the way that he brings resolve to um, creation here in this context, right? Yeah. Like all of these things point to the way in which we should pursue our and know our heavenly father. And so, yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, one of the times when um, we were dealing with some subjects on um, eschatology in the church, um, I will forever be grateful to one of our other elders, Frank. Um, Frank and I sat down because him and I have different views on eschatology. And so in, in, in that way, we sat down and with our Bibles open, a couple times talked through those things. And I, that, I feel, is a lost art. We tend to talk over one another or past one another. And Frank and I got to talk with one another. And there were things of which, you know, people think they know what I believe. I would almost guarantee nine out of ten people in our church even sometimes don't actually know what I believe um, about eschatology. And so that was a really helpful conversation because the same was true for me towards Frank. I had heard him articulate some things or or heard him summarize some things, but I made assumptions and vice versa. And so that's a great need because, you know, when John goes to encourage the believers about not shrinking back at Christ's coming, man, not everybody's going to share that the same. And and I think that is one of the values of while there's differences, we do, we have a confessional standard in our church. You brought up the confession in, in your sermon. Um, and I think what's really helpful about um, our confession is that it's clear on certain areas and it seeks to not, it is still clear, I would say, in all areas. 
but it does not try to assert anything that would pigeonhole people because right. there are disagreements uh, in history. Right. And so, you know, our church has a, I would say, a majority belief um, and thought, um, but it's not the only one. And so there's a lot of freedom and unity around that. Right. Um, but when you brought up the confession, I think that was a really helpful point because it reminds people, here's what our church holds. Yeah, foundationally, these are the truths that we would... Right. Yeah. Right. And so, again, it makes the point on confidence. Um, Paul or John's whole point um, is that we would not shrink from Christ at his coming. Um, so that's actually one of the questions we got um, uh, for us to answer is, how do I walk in the confidence of the Lord now and even portray that confidence in a humble manner? Did, did you want me to just answer yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, oh. <laughs> the question, so as <laughs> the question is asked, you go ahead and answer it, and I know, typically, typically what we do is Josh will, um, uh, I'll ask the question and Josh and I'll interact with it, so I'm going to let you first interact with it, yeah. um, and so I'll ask it again. Yeah, um, <laughs> So it's, it's talking about um, abiding in him so that when he appears, we'll have confidence, and so the question is, uh, how do I walk in the confidence of the Lord? and portray that confidence in a humble manner. So, I mean, the reality is we have to, 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 to even maintain uh, humility as a whole, we have to remind ourselves continually of the reality of where our confidence should come from. Yeah. Right. That confidence doesn't come from uh, the, the works that we would do uh, in, in the, in the preaching that that we worked through, uh, I brought up the reality that um, all of, all of our works um, in righteousness are, are but filthy rags, uh, right? Like it's, the scriptures are clear that what we bring forth of ourselves is nothing worth. Um, I mean, really anything to the Lord, right? Um, so when we when we come before the Lord, it's not that the Lord sees good within us that is manifest by us. It's that he sees that Im- that imputed righteousness of Christ. He sees Christ within us. He sees He sees the spirit, uh, which is his mark within the believer, um, that, that that which we come forth with, uh, that's where we should find our confidence. And so just continuously being reminded, not that it's this self-flogging, right? Like we're not... Um, it's not a woe is me, but um, but this like Christ in me is right. so glorious, so good um, that that's that's where that confidence should come from. So it's a, it's just a continuous reminder that we're not great, but Christ is. Yeah, um, I, I we're think, not even good, but Christ is. Right. Yeah. Um, anything good in me is Christ. Absolutely. Amen. Um, and I think you know. The question being asked, I think one of the things about the context of it is we do tend to see people at times um, in the church that act as though they have a confidence and it's because of either one, what they know, Mm. or um, it's a self-confidence where they would say it's Christ, but it's really based on their own theology yeah like because of my theology because of what i know i'm so smart i'm so smart and so the the problem becomes it really produces an it, it, pro, it produces an arrogance rather than an abiding 
And so I think, you know, in thinking of the application of this, I think one of the challenges becomes um, asking, what's the root of my confidence? Mm. Is my confidence because of what John is saying, because of him saying abide in Christ? Which again, John's using that context in a broad way Um, throughout chapter two. In one area, he's saying abide in him. In another, he's basically saying abide in your confession of him. In another, he's saying abide in him as in a fellowship context, and it's very broad. Um, It appears seven different times. Right. And so within that, I think it becomes really important that for us to be able to have confidence, it's truly knowing the Lord, his promises and his purposes. I think that becomes really important for us. And so it's not, as you just said, it's not a confidence in and of ourselves. And we find that in the text. And I think that's also why, you know, you brought up in your sermon, we need to give an answer in eschatological matters from the scriptures, not from charts or supplemental teachers. Which is the beauty of, of the the example you brought up when you sat down with Frank. You both sat down with your Bibles and reasoned your your perspective from the scriptures. Yeah. Because ultimately, if we cannot articulate our point from the scriptures without, as you as we talked about, charts or supplemental teachers or supplemental teaching material or other books or you know what have you. If it if it has to be supported by means other than God's word, we really need to take a look at the value of it as as a whole at all. Right, yeah. and I think that's where like no one denies the reality that a chart can be helpful. Um, or you know, I mean even when we were talking about your exposition and the timeline of those matters and yeah. okay, Christ is coming judgment, but how and when are we getting glorified bodies? Yeah. How in, how is Christ returning? Having a timeline of that is really helpful, but it's only helpful in the context of saying, this is what the scripture teaches. And then let me summarize for you in this chart. Here's how yeah. I'd write it out or if describe it. If you can't get it. there without the chart, then the chart is no good. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that that is definitely an important point. So I think that is that is something where, you know, often you see people whose confidence is in their charts or their positions. And I don't mean theological positions. I just mean like they have an idea in their mind and their confidence really isn't in the Lord. Yeah. And so, again, one of the things I said a couple weeks ago, and I've said it before, is that Christology is what needs to drive our eschatology. And that's literally what John is saying in these, in these closing verses. He's literally saying, like, you need to remain in Christ, be faithful and true to the confession of faith you have in Christ. Know him and know nothing else. Right. Fix your eyes upon the Lord. Right. And in the end, he's talking about, um, you know, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You kind of talked about uh, righteousness and dealt with that. What would you say are some important applications that you were thinking through um, when thinking on the subject of um, practicing righteousness? You're gonna have to give me a second. I'm going back through my notes. <laughs> okay. I, I have I have a reference point. Yeah. Well, I, well, as you're looking, I think yeah. one of the things that becomes valuable for the listener to remember <laughs> is that John is often repeating himself. He's he's often in a thematic cycle, and so what he's saying in these two verses, 
not only in a, in a lot of ways sum up chapter two, but they also lead into chapter three, because we know without chapters and verse numbers, nothing is isolated. You know, so we often think of that's chapter two, this is chapter three, but John isn't isolating these things. And so when he's talking about if you know that he is righteous, it it recalls how John had previously said, listen, you know because the illumination of the Spirit, you know Christ because you've been given a regenerated heart, you've been born of him, and also you know then that Christ is the righteous one. He is the propitiation of your sin. Um, and so in that, there's a really important call to remember the gospel, um, to really hold firm to the truth of the gospel. I think maybe that's even a question that, you know, even Colton, you could maybe interact with. Uh, how are you remembering the gospel um, in your daily life? As John is saying, if you know that he is righteous, then you're called to practice righteousness. How are you seeking to be reminded daily of the gospel? Within my own context? Yeah. It's, it's a, I think foundationally it's not being, uh, it's it's being yoked with other believers um, in, in relationship as a whole, praying with uh, one another, um, having conversations about Christ um, with one another, having conversations, I think, about our own um, isolated independent walks as believers, what we're going through, what we're wrestling with. Um, doctrines we're studying. Uh, I think of um, some of the the greatest reminders uh, of the gospel as a whole of my need for Christ, um, of my recognition of sin uh, or conviction thereof. Mm-hmm. Have been conversations with my wife. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like uh, some of the 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 greatest gospel reminders I have have come from my wife, uh, who loves Christ. And uh, loves me uh, in ways that feel callous sometimes, yeah. Um, but in ways that are that are great reminders of the gospel. Um, and I don't mean that she just uh, lives the gospel. I mean, she reminds me of my sin and reminds me of my Savior. Um, yeah. Reminds me of my need for for the good news that is Jesus Christ. Um, but ultimately, it's it's interacting with those who who also love Christ on a regular basis. Um, I think it's easy to be. Uh, become strained or stressed or separated from um, the good news that is in Christ when we are separated from his people. Mm, and so constant, yeah. constantly being engaged with God's people um, is a reminder of his grace and mercy in and through them, as well as the difficulties of sinful people. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when John is saying, um, you know, that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, He's really dealing with an evidence um, that those who um, are seeking to practice what is right in the eyes of the Lord are those who are genuine believers. Right. Um, And clearly, uh, the false teachers of John's day uh, had no concern for practicing righteousness. And what's difficult is you have a lot of people who, who basically say, as long as we know the right things, it doesn't matter if we, we live rightly. And yet that becomes really important to John and saying, listen, in light of Christ returning soon, our lives are not to be marked by the world, but by the incarnate word. And so that becomes a really important thing. You had mentioned um, in your sermon the importance of growing in the likeness of Christ. 
um, and that being a key thing in abiding in him. What would you say then are um, maybe one or two points of application for someone who goes, how do I, how do I pra- practice righteousness um, this week? Uh, I think a great point of reference, if you need a reminder, is, is Psalm 1, uh, which I referenced yeah. in my text. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit, and in its season its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Uh, the reality that, um, like, if we're if we're to practice righteousness, we have to seek after the one who perfectly modeled righteousness for us, and that was Christ, right? And so, as the psalmist says, we we need to we need to learn to be delighted in the law of God. We need to learn to love um, His law, His commands, His statutes. Um, he meditates on them day and night. We yeah. cannot we cannot practice righteous if we're not familiar with the one who is righteous, who modeled righteousness. And so Absolutely. if we're going to model righteousness, if we're going to seek after what is righteous, we have to know the one who is righteous. Yeah. So spending time in his word, seeking after the the life that Christ modeled for us, which we have very well written out in the scriptures. Yeah. That's a really good example. You know, um, not long ago I had, um, while being in the Psalms, I had really seen and studied that Psalm 1 is talking about how that that righteous one is not only walking in the way of the Lord, but they're, as you said, they're meditating on God's law day and night. They have an affection for the, 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 the um, statutes and the commands of God. Um, but if you go to Psalm 2, part mm. of that translation um, I think it's, you know, part of the terminology that we lose in the English is it talks about what the what the evil person, what the wicked person meditates on. And it's actually fascinating because um, in Psalm 2, um, verse 1, it talks about how really in that, in that particular, I think it's the standard Bible translation, it talks about how they meditate on only things that are vain. And so you have in the Psalms a comparison you know, and so that's a great encouragement for people to go read Psalm one. Yeah, really understand that through the lens of Christ, and and seek to practice righteousness. Well, and even Psalm two ends or close close to its end um, in verse eleven: "Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Mm. Recognize who the Lord is. Recognize His sovereignty and His supremacy." Um, and and seek after him in those things. So meditate yeah. on Psalm two as well. Yeah, don't yeah. definitely don't seek uh, plot in vain, as the ESV says. But <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> Psalm one and Psalm two. I mean, right, yeah. And there's a comfort in that that the Christian only practices righteousness because they've been born of Him. Yeah, um, that it's not that we have righteousness in and of ourselves. Paul's pretty clear about that in in Romans, and we're even comforted with the reminder in Ephesians 2 that we've been Mm -hmm. created in Christ for good works. We are God's workmanship, um, and God has even prepared us for those works. He's prepared those works beforehand. Yeah, well, and he made Um, clear that the good works are only from him and through him, because before that he says that no one may boast right (laughs) in their own. Right, Yeah, and so we have no righteousness of our own. Yeah. Um, only that of which has been imputed to us through Christ and from Christ. Well, thank the Lord so, for that. Yeah. So um, really in that, I think, again, what's an, a great encouragement is that 
Verse 28 and 29 at the end of chapter 2, as I was saying earlier, is both a summary of what we saw back in chapter 2 and then kind of a launching into what we'll see in chapter 3. Yeah. Um, it's also a bit of a warning yeah, to those who are is. not abiding right. in John's context. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because John's making clear that, you know, earlier we learned in verse 19 of chapter 2 that... Um, there are those who went out from the church. Those teachers went out. But you definitely always still have that teaching. Yeah. You have that that is still ruminating in those people. And John's saying, listen, let go of that. Hold to Christ. Abide in him. Don't waver in these things. Yep. Hold firm to Christ. Um, so, yeah, this Sunday will be in the first three verses Woo-hoo! of chapter three. So you set us up well for that. And we'll just begin to work through that. Um, it's fascinating too, you know, you dealt with the second coming, um, John then switches over and goes back. This is the way in which he's like cyclical thematically. Then he goes back and he's like, listen, Christ has already appeared once. So then this is how we should live. Cause he will appear again. Yeah. Um, and we'll have glorified bodies and we'll be purified perfectly. It's finally about the end. purity. <laughs> so yeah it, it'll be good so it will be courage good. uh everybody who's listening be reading the first three verses of first john chapter three yeah you better um, read them or else yeah <laughs> but i think that will help uh and i would even say read from verse 28 chapter 2 to uh the first three verses of chapter three you don't have to go back that far that's <laughs> fine but i think it 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 could be helpful no it would be good definitely read it because i probably (laughs) missed something and in fact there's a lot in that text that like if if you have never had the uh i'll say the pleasure of preparing a sermon um then maybe you don't realize just how much uh just there's not enough time to cover yeah um so yeah to to just further encourage you to go back and read 20 and 29 there's a lot that that i was not able to even touch on right uh, i mean there's there's even things that even in a podcast like this we won't touch on every little detail that could be touched on for sure and i think that's even you know an encouragement to the listener um in regards to expository preaching expository preaching is not seeking to say every little thing about the text it is to expose you to the heart of it um and i believe you did that well and we're grateful for that this last sunday so Thanks for taking the time chatting about uh, the sermon. Um, of course, everybody, you can uh, find this content on practicapod.com. You can reach out to Josh or I um, to learn more or to ask further questions. Always encourage you to ask questions, not just about these expositions we discussed, but even maybe about previous ones in the context of what we're talking through. So again, Colton, thank you for chatting with us and uh, look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, you're welcome.